Hi, I'm Lynn. And I'm Jan. Welcome to the Lampladders podcast. Lampladders is a community that encourages women to grow in our faith through the study of God's Word. This year, we are traveling on a journey through the Bible, following the stories of some women who have impacted our faith, and we are grateful that you are on the journey with us. Mm-hmm. Um, today, we're going to flesh out the family saga that began last week, mm-hmm. and then leap from Rebecca's story to the story of Rachel and Leah. But, Lynn, I know you wish to start with another issue that is dear to your heart and to the hearts of so many women. So why don't you start with that? Yeah, um, let's do start with that. And it is a complicated topic about children or more directly pregnancy, Um, either the inability to become pregnant or the inability to sustain a pregnancy to term. Mm. I know that we have listeners who have either walked this road in their past, like I have, or some who are going through it right now. And that pain can sometimes feel almost unbearable. Mm. I can remember the difficulty of seeing other pregnant women and wishing it was me. Um, I know I had thoughts that there was something wrong with me or that maybe I was being punished for Mm. something that I just wasn't quite aware of. And maybe some of you have felt that way too, or are feeling that way too. So often, it just seems to be something you can't get away from. And now here you are, you've come to study the Bible, and it's right there in your face again. You stumble upon a verse like we see this week about Rachel being barren for so long, and then God opening her womb, and the questioning may become worse. Hmm. I know it is a very tender spot that you are in. And what I want to say is, I see you. But much more importantly, what I want you to hear is that God sees you. He knows your pain because he knows you better than you know yourself. I don't have an answer for you any more than I had an answer for myself all those years ago. But I do know this. What we are studying today is God's story about Rachel. Please do not switch out your name for hers or anyone else's. In the same way that he created each of you to be unique, your story will also be unique. Nothing you are going through is outside of God's knowledge. He is sovereign. And his plan for you is a personal one that he has written. And scripture is God's word to us about who he is and who we are in him. It's filled with lessons and promises and truth. It's also filled with redemption. And that is a promise each one of us has been offered. No matter what, God is the only one with the power to redeem us when we turn to him. Mm. So, as we step into this story today, (laughs) with a sharp turn, and not really a sharp turn, because we will see that this is part of the story. It's a story of two sisters and one husband who all played a vital role in the arc of God's story, and therefore our own. And this is quite a story. (laughs) It is one of the most unusual ones, I think, in Scripture. Yeah. But before we move on to that, Lynn, I just, the summary, I just, I want to say that I too had trouble getting pregnant and I can identify 
with the despair and the confusion and the longing in these stories that we have studied so far. Barrenness was a problem mm-hmm. that afflicted all of our faith matriarchs, except apparently Leah, who mm-hmm. was Miss Fertile Myrtle. Um, but it's a biblical theme, and the way the Hebrews looked at childbearing in general was, yes, it was very important. It was vital for the woman, but it was also a gift of God, that God is the giver of all life, mm-hmm. no matter when or how or if. And so we need to hold that in mind. As uh, as you said, God has a unique plan for all of us, and we can hold on to Him even when we don't see the plan in front of us, Yeah, which we get to in this week's story. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's get up to speed. Okay. Remember that Rebecca, wife of Isaac, mother of those two warring twins, maneuvered to steal the blessing and inheritance for Jacob, mm-hmm. her beloved son, which rightfully belonged to Esau, mm-hmm. who was, of course, favored by his dad. And right there we have trouble, right? Mm-hmm. Esau, understandably, is lividly furious about this deception. So Rebecca sent Jacob fleeing for his life mm-hmm. into the desert. Now, it is just as an aside, this is the point in the story we have that childhood story you may remember from your Bible that was illustrated by the ladder with all the angels going mm-hmm. up and down on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that happens at this point, and that's important because Jacob actually meets God and receives his promise for himself in the midst of fleeing for his life, okay? Mm-hmm. He builds an altar. He names it Bethel. That comes back into the story several times. But after that, Jacob traveled on to his mother's family in Haran, um, he is seeking safety and a wife. So he gets there and he sees Rachel, and she apparently is drop dead gorgeous. She is beautiful. We are told that several times. Mm-hmm. She's a young shepherdess, happens to be his first cousin, who is the daughter of Laban, his uncle, mm-hmm. right? And he fell head over heels in love with her. He asked Laban to marry Rachel in exchange for seven years of labor with Laban's flocks. Mm -hmm. Of course, that was a great idea for Laban. He got free labor out of the whole thing, right? Time flew by for Jacob. He was really looking forward to marrying Rachel. And as the wedding approached, Laban, his uncle, the wily old trickster, deceived Jacob into marrying Leah first. Mm -hmm. Now, Leah was the older of the two. And really, the only thing we're told about her is that she has weak eyes, Mm -hmm. And that Jacob didn't love her. Right. He loved Rachel. He Mm -hmm. may have resented her because her father had tricked him into that marriage. And it just it seems like Jacob is reaping what he sowed, and he doesn't necessarily like being on the end of the deception. But at any rate, he agrees to work for Laban another seven years. And after the week that rightfully belonged to Leah, he is able to marry Rachel. And they go on about their lives. So that's where we find ourselves in the story this week. One man, two wives, and a sense that this is not going to go well. Yeah, that's a a combination (laughs) that doesn't sound like it's going to work. Yeah, no. Um, And it really only gets more complicated as the lesson unfolds. You know, as always, there are so many different directions in these stories that we can take, but I just kept coming back to this one theme it seemed to be causing all the trouble, and that was comparison. Mm. Now, comparison on its own 
is really nothing more than a way of measuring. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just a way of measuring. It's the way we use that tool that causes the problems. When we compare ourselves to others, all kinds of feelings can come up. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if it always led to admiration? You know, just a way of seeing beauty in another person? It seldom does. Yeah, unfortunately, (laughs) it rarely does. Um, That's not what usually comes up. More often, it leads to jealousy, resentment, and envy. Have you ever heard the phrase, comparison is the thief of joy? That's the direction we're heading today. Yeah, that it's the kind of comparison that's really toxic. And yeah. I learned this term years and years ago. It's called being measured and found wanting. Mm-hmm. In other words, you can never win right. um, in that situation because you always fall short no matter what it is. So yeah. it, you're measured and found wanting. That's right. And we find that this week. Yeah, we sure do. Okay, so as you said, this story is about two sisters, Leah and Rachel. Leah is the older sister, and Rachel is the younger one. We don't get a whole lot of information about them, but Leah is described as having weak eyes while Rachel is said to have been beautiful. Now, I don't know, excuse me, exactly what that means, um, weak eyes, but it already makes me feel sad for Leah. Hmm. The comparison game has begun, and it's not kind. And she was the oldest. She was the oldest. We are told Jacob was attracted to Rachel's beauty and wanted to marry her. And then we had the whole story that you just spoke of about Mm -hmm. the tricking and him end up marrying Leah. And how do you think that made Leah feel to have her own father trick someone into marrying her? I mean, did Mm. he think that the only way a man would marry his daughter was if he were tricked into it? Well, she tried to make the best of it, and she truly wanted Jacob to love her. And such a sad picture is being painted here, because we'll see that just doesn't happen. Mm. Now, meanwhile, we've got beautiful Rachel standing off on the side, and she wants to be married to Jacob as well. And what we find out is that's exactly what happens. It's important here to note that even though Jacob waited his seven year, until his seven years of labor were completed before he married Leah, the second marriage happened immediately after the first, and Jacob spent the next seven years paying off the debt. And so <laughs> the contest begins. Now, this is going to feel a little disturbing for us today, but the real purpose of women at that time was to provide sons for their husbands. And Leah had absolutely no problem in this area, but Rachel did. Now, let's take a look at how this played out. Leah has the first son and names him Reuben. Raha means to see and Ben means son. So Reuben says God has seen, Reuben means God has seen Leah and given her his son. Okay, her second son is named Simeon. The Lord has heard that I am hated. Get a load of these names. Mm. Her third son, she named Levi. Now this time, my husband will be attached to me. It's just heartbreaking. It gets worse and worse. All this time, Leah continues to open up her heart and offer it to Jacob. She serves him and cares for him dutifully, but it never makes her good enough. So 
not unusual, I don't think, Leah turns to her children to see if she can get what she's not getting from Jacob because they were seen as symbols symbols of a blessing. But we all know children can't complete us or make us worthy. And that's another clear warning for us today. We're not going to get into it, but yep. it's it's significant. But it's a temptation we fall into as Absolutely, mothers. absolutely. So we know Jacob continues to show favor, favoritism towards Rachel. But after Leah's third child is born, after Levi is born, she seems to have a change of heart. Instead of pining after Jacob and regarding herself as a disappointment, Instead of hoping that her children would bring her value and worth and joy, with her fourth pregnancy, Leah proclaims, this time I will praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. So this fourth son, she names Judah. And Judah means acknowledgement. There are a bunch of words here that I would butcher if I tried to pronounce them. So just know that in Hebrew, it refers to giving thanks and praise. Now, that is a huge shift in Leah's focus. Right. And notice what she tells us about the Lord through those children. The Lord sees. The Lord has heard. um, The Lord has blessed. And she will now praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. So that's that's her faith journey she's been on. That's right. Yeah. So remember, this whole time, Rachel is still the preferred wife. She's still the one that Jacob truly loves, but she has been unable to have any children. So far, Leah has four, and Rachel just cannot take it anymore. So she gives her handmaid, Billa, to Jacob. Now, here's a story we've seen before. (laughs) Yes, this is not going to go well. Billa then gave birth to two sons, Dan and Naphtali, and Rachel's reaction was, I have had a great struggle with my sister, and I have won. Hmm. That's interesting because she still has not has a child, had a She's child. She's one through her handmaid. Yeah. Was, so that's debatable. Anyway, yeah. Rachel deeply resents her older sister, Leah, because she is the first wife. And she's also jealous of her ability to bear numerous sons. But then, oh, no. not to be outdone, <laughs> Leah, who for some reason at this time doesn't seem to be fertile, responds by having her maid. <laughs> Zilpa lay with Jacob, and he and they have two more sons, Gad and Asher. So, are you keeping up? We've got eight sons so far. <laughs> now, the battle between the two sisters comes to a head when the oldest son, this is Leah's son, Reuben, finds mandrakes. Now, mandrakes were thought to have fertility-inducing properties, but who's going to get them? Because remember, Leah's not having kids right now either. Mm -hmm. And Rachel never has. So the sisters make a deal. Leah will give Rachel the mandrakes in return for a night with Jacob. The deal between the sisters helps Leah tremendously because what we will find out is that she becomes pregnant three more times. (laughs) She gives birth to two more sons, Issachar, meaning God has given me my hire, and Zebulun, which is now my husband will honor me, and a daughter, Dinah. That poor girl. Can you imagine? I know. That's a lot of, a lot of brothers <laughs> to lot deal of brothers. with. Well, after all this, seven years have gone by, seven years of waiting, and Rachel gives birth to Joseph. In that same time period, Leah has had many sons. 
So can you see how the comparison has wrecked any sisterly affection that possibly existed at one time? Mm. It really has turned Rachel into a bitter woman. And we see that played out throughout her life. Um, In one particular case, when they decide to leave their father's land, him, and return to Jacob's homeland, Rachel decides to steal the family idols. And it's her bitterness that causes her to do that. Mm-hmm. She says, we're not getting anything from our dad and we owe things he owes us. And so she just took them. Yeah, that's a whole nother story. It's a whole nother story. Um, but there's some drama played out. So ultimately, we know that Rachel gives birth to a second son, Benjamin. And in that right after she gives birth, she dies. You know, if you think about it, that's just really the most amazing story. This uh, birthing contest these two sisters get into. Um, I, I just, I can't imagine, first of all, just the maelstrom of emotions and hormones that are swimming around Jacob's family all the time. Well, not to mention, we just talked about this in a couple of minutes. This yeah. was years, years and years and years of this. Years of this, years of hope, yeah. years of dashed hopes yeah. for both sisters. Mm-hmm. You know, Leah for her husband's love and Rachel for, for sons. Mm-hmm. Um, but what what strikes me is what we said earlier about Leah is that between sons three and four, she turns her focus yeah. to the Lord and takes him as her identity. Mm-hmm. Not She's not getting it from her husband anymore or her sons. Unfortunately, I never got the sense that Rachel, as beloved as she was by Jacob, mm-hmm. came into any relationship with Jacob's God. And I'm sure that was another cause of conflict in this family. Yeah, there's no lack of conflict in, in many different directions. Yeah, now good luck tying this all <laughs> Well, up. let's see what I can do. Okay, <laughs> What I see is that all the comparison that has gone on in these two women's lives has had some really profound effects. But who are Rachel and Leah? Well, they're sisters, clearly. Rivals, even more clearly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're both mothers, eventually. And they're both matriarchs. These two women had a complicated relationship that was made even more difficult by their constant comparisons. Now, remember, first, Rachel is the one whose beauty on the outside was apparent to all. It was the one that, she was the one who Jacob fell for. She was the one he truly loved. We see Leah, who is the less beautiful on the outside, spend years trying to earn his love, hoping and believing that Jacob will love her more as she bears more children for him. It's not a leap to assume that even if Jacob did have a little bit of love for Leah, if his love increased, Rachel always had the upper hand Mm -hmm. in the family. She was, even though she was the second wife, she probably got a lot more attention. And that would cause Leah to be jealous because that's all she wanted was love and attention from Jacob. There were probably lots of little small privileges that that Rachel enjoyed being his favorite. And Leah was the one who was entitled to them and wasn't receiving them because of his love for Rachel. Mm. So all of this comparison led to overwhelming jealousy on both sides. That's the irony here, because each woman wanted, wanted what the other one had. And that's the definition of jealousy, I guess. Leah wanted the love of Jacob, while Rachel wanted Leah's ability 
to bear children and give Jacob heirs. Both of them had to deal with the ugly side of jealousy by feeling it themselves and being on the receiving end. Each was blinded by jealousy as a result of their constant comparisons. And isn't that exactly where comparison leads us? Yeah, it is. To wanting what the other person has. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's something about coveting. It's poisonous. In the Big Ten. It's very yeah. poisonous. Um, so we know that Leah had turned her life around when she changed her focus to God. When she stopped to notice all that God had given her, instead of what she didn't have, look at all these beautiful children she has. Mm-hmm. She was able to find happiness. Her words changed from a pitiful "woe is me" attitude to "how lucky am I? What good fortune! I'm happy." Through Leah, we learn that if we aren't grateful for the blessings we have and trust that God is enough, then jealousy will always make us want more. We, we become insatiable. Jacob did not see, hear, or attach himself to Leah, but the Lord filled that void that Jacob had created in Leah's life. And Leah's beauty grew exponentially on the inside. Mm. Now, even though she never received the love that she so strongly desired from Jacob, God gave her the position of being the first daughter, the first wife, and the first mother to Jacob's first son. Even though her marriage began with trickery, she ended up with a role of honor and respect in the community. God used her marriage for His glory, even though it wasn't an ideal situation. God had a specific calling for Leah and her life, whether Jacob favored her or not. God placed her first and blessed her abundantly. She may not have been Jacob's choice, but God chose her to play a role in the birth of the Savior of the world. Because that first child who was born after Leah's attitude was changed was Judah. And we know that the, line, the lineage leading to Jesus goes through Judah's line. Mm-hmm. Whatever Leah lacked in her marriage, the world received an immeasurable gift. And that's our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that was all because of God's abundant blessing of Leah. In this time of her trials, Leah eventually chose to praise and be thankful for God's role in her life. And that level of prayer in her left a legacy in, for all of us to be grateful and to give praise. And it brought us Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, we must rejoice even when things seem difficult or impossible because we have an incredible Savior who is faithful no matter what happens yes. to us here. And in addition to bringing us the Savior through Judah, there were several other ways that God honored Leah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, She was buried in a place of honor alongside Jacob at the site of his ancestors, including Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah. Her children led half of the tribes of Israel. And you just have to know that these boys and Dinah revered and cherished their mother and probably brought her satisfaction that couldn't be measured and joy. Mm. This story of Jacob, Leah, and Rachel is filled with so much difficulty. Yet God, as He always does, used these people greatly 
and impacted history. Their 12 sons were the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel that became the nation of Israel. So it's through this very unusual and what most people would consider highly dysfunctional family. Definitely messy. That God blessed the entire world. And Jesus Christ was born in the tribe of Judah and offered salvation to all of us. Hmm. Now, Rachel's story ended a little differently. She was the one with the notable outward beauty. But what we see is all those years of comparison and jealousy and envy from not having a child and watching her sister have child after child left her feeling really bitter and ugly on the inside. Mm. She never quite seemed to be able to see past what her sister had that she wanted and that she didn't have. And all throughout, his, all throughout this story, Rachel is the one with the snide comments and the unreasonable demands that at times we can see even war on Jacob, the mm-hmm. one who loved her so much. Now, eventually, we know that God did bless her with her two sons, but she wouldn't be around to watch them grow. And, you know, you wonder if that bitterness of all those years had any role in that. Mm-hmm. But we do know that God can use anything we do or don't do to further his plan. And Rachel was no exception. And that's right, because God had a special plan for Rachel as well. Uh Through her oldest son, Joseph, Mm -hmm. the nation of Israel was saved. Now, that's a story for another time. But suffice it to say that the comparison sin, which afflicted the relationship between the two sisters, Mm -hmm. Leah and Rachel— also impacted the relationships among their sons and eventually led Leah's sons to sell Rachel's son into slavery. Now, we know because Genesis 50-20 tells us that they intended that act for evil, but God intended it for good, and He used it to save His people as a result. And Mm -hmm. so it's Rachel's son Mm -hmm. who saves the nation of Israel in addition to Judah providing the line to the Messiah. So right. he had blessings for her. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I want to leave our friends today with a point to ponder because okay. this, really, this really struck me. It kind of took me back to junior high, if you really want to know, which is not a fun place for me to visit in my memory. But it it reminded me that it's important that we ask ourselves, under what circumstances— do I feel, do you feel, do we all feel measured and found wanting? Mm-hmm. Because that is still true for us today as adult women. Oh, yeah. And when you discover the circumstances that make you feel that way, what are you going to do differently the next time you feel that way? Because right. it's an opportunity in a weird way to praise and thank mm-hmm. instead of focusing on being measured and found wanting. That's right. Well, Here's what I want to talk about. Ecclesiastes 6.9 says, It's better to be satisfied with what you have than to always be wanting something else. Mm. Now, I don't. this is kind of hard for me to explain. It's something that I very recently started to try and do. Um, so let me just give it my best shot. Okay. In part of my journaling every day, I write one little sentence that says, My idol today was. Ooh. Yeah. And I think about what 
what is that idol? And more often than I would like to admit, it is envy or jealousy or comparison. But what it does for me is it makes me pay attention. It makes me ask for forgiveness. It makes me realize that I have so much more than I want or need. Mm-hmm. So that's what I want you to think about. What is it exactly that I think I need that God has not already provided? It's a real wake-up call. Mm-hmm. And I think what it does is it shifts your focus. It turns you back around to God. It takes you out of comparison and envy and jealousy, and it puts you into a spirit of gratitude and praise and worship. But it's a hard question to ask. Sure, but it turns your focus from the idol in your That's life right. that day to what is it that you think mm-hmm. God hasn't provided mm-hmm. and seeing ways that He actually has provided. Yeah. yeah. Because it turns my dissatisfaction of thinking that there's something that I need into gratitude for the knowledge that I already have everything I need. God mm-hmm. is sufficient. Mm-hmm. And more than we need. And more than we need. Okay. Amen to that. Till next time.